Mr. Cohen has knowledge on certain subjects that should be of interest to the special counsel. Uh-oh. Someone's in trouble. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, in Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for... Oh boy, another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. They just keep on coming day after day, don't they? And by the way, we are keeping our eyes, uh, at least Desi Doyen is, you're keeping your eyes on Hurricane Lane. Yes. Bearing down on the Hawaiian Islands and our friends out at uh, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Hope you guys are uh, taking all the needed precautions that Hurricane uh, is bearing down. Uh, it had uh, uh, reached Category 5 a few hours ago. I think it's now down to hurric- uh, to Category 4, last yes. I saw. Yes, it's down to Category 4. It is expected to weaken, but it's really, really rare. It is hard to express how rare it is for Hawaii to get a direct hit from a, from a hurricane. So if it does hit, that's going to be a record. Yeah, point. it will uh, not only getting hit, but even a Category 5 storm passing within 350 miles of the state. This is only the second time in recorded history that it has happened. So keeping our eyes out there, uh, stay safe, y'all. As we uh, like to do at key moments in the presidency of Donald J. Trump, we will check in shortly with our friend Heather Digby-Parton following the just remarkable events of the last 24 hours or so as the uh, walls seem to be crumbling around this president and this presidency. But we'll find out if we're right about that. We've it's it's felt this way before. But, well, I don't know, maybe not like this. Maybe this is different. We'll ask Heather uh, momentarily. But first, a very truncated report today on Tuesday's primaries in Alaska and Wyoming. 
given all the other news that we try to that we need to try to hit today, I'm happy to report few, if any, problems for voters have been reported so far out of either state. Though, as we always note here, sometimes it takes a while to discover such problems, particularly questions about results, and I should add, particularly in Alaska which has had a lot of problems with their tabulation system over the years uh, that have taken years to uh, try to even figure out what may have happened. But uh, so far, so good in Alaska. Democrats and Republicans selected their nominees for governor to run against the nation's only current independent governor, Bill Walker, in a state where third parties and independent runs can often make the difference in statewide elections. Former U.S. Senator Mark Begich ran uncontested for the Democratic nomination. Seven candidates on the Republican side vied for that nomination. As expected, former Alaska State Senator Mike Dunleavy won the GOP nomination. And now Democrats and independents have a tough decision over the next two weeks. Uh, that would be the unpopular independent governor, Bill Walker, and Senator Begich. They have until September 4 to decide if they want to join forces uh, or risk allowing the Republican to become governor in the state, as polls show that he most likely would if both Walker and Begich stay in the race. The Democrats had endorsed the independent Walker Back in 2014, now they might like to see that favor return, so we'll be watching that over the next two weeks. In Wyoming, a crowded field of Republicans spent a lot of money trying to uh, win the GOP nomination for governor in that state. Republican Party megadonor Foster Freeze put nearly $2.5 million of his own money into uh, his own primary race in which he was endorsed by Donald Trump, but lost. That was uh, that two and a half million at least was not enough to beat the front runner, Mark Gordon, the state's treasurer and the only one among those six running for that nomination who believe that they should uh, be governor. He's the only one to have any significant experience in government, any experience, by the way, at all uh, in elected office. So a whole bunch of Republicans, I guess, looking at Donald Trump thinking, hey, we can do this. We don't need any experience to run for a very high office. Well, that did not work out. Mark Gordon won instead. He was widely seen as the most wonkish and pragmatic of the candidates, according to Nathaniel Rakich of uh, 538.com. Old school Wyomingites, he says, will be pleased that neither negative campaigning nor goo gobs of money won that race. Uh, Mark Gordon will run against uh, state rep Mary Throne who took the Democratic nomination. Both, however, are big coal supporters in the nation's top coal mining state and both hope to replace outgoing Governor Matt Mead. Goo gobs of money did do the trick, however, for winning Wyoming's GOP U.S. Senate nomination. Uh, incumbent senator and climate change denying chairman of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, John Barrasso, faced a challenge from Dave Dodson, a former Democrat turned Republican who charged that Barrasso is too close to corporate lobbyists. That, too, was an expensive race. Uh, Trump had endorsed Barrasso, so I guess he was one for two in the state on Tuesday night. Barrasso had received 
about half a million dollars from the oil and gas industry, and uh, just 8% of his funding comes from in-state contributions. So big corporate money helped win that one in Wyoming. Barrasso will run against Democrat Gary Trauner in the very Republican state, as I said. Incumbent U.S. House member Liz Cheney, daughter of Dick, reportedly won the Republican nomination for uh, Wyoming's lone U.S. House seat in the uh, very red state where Donald Trump had his largest victory margin of any state back in 2016. So it's going to be an uphill climb for Liz Cheney's Democratic challenger this November, Greg Hunter. Uh, And if you doubt me, uh, you can look at the turnout numbers on Tuesday night. Just over 16,000 Democrats voted in the House primary in Wyoming, compared with 110,000 Republicans turning out on Tuesday night. But hey, it is one of those election years. It's starting to feel a lot like 2006, the midterms, uh, when Democrats had a blue wave um, back then in the midterms when anything could happen at the polls, given the news, especially of over the last 24 hours, but really over the last few weeks. By the way, next Tuesday in uh, Arizona and Florida, statewide primaries on August 28 and an Oklahoma primary runoff. So heads up, Arizona, Florida and Oklahoma. All right. The conviction on eight federal felony counts for Donald Trump's campaign chair and the guilty plea to eight federal felonies by Trump's personal lawyer and fixer implicating Trump in the hush money payoff of a porn star or two on Tuesday. Uh, that was not the only bad news for Republicans. Just two, just over two months now out from the crucial November midterms. Lost amid all of that, sort of, was another sitting Republican House member and longtime Trump supporter being indicted on federal char- charges. Uh, this came in shortly after we went off the air on Tuesday, and I would hate for uh, hate for this to... Not get covered here on the broadcast since I've been a huge fan of Republican Congressman Duncan Hunter for some time. You can go look him up at bradblog.com if you doubt me. In any event, um, Duncan Hunter and his wife Margaret routinely and illegally used campaign funds to pay personal bills, both big and small, from luxury vacations to kids' school lunches. And delinquent family dentistry bills that, according to a stinging 47 page indictment unsealed on Tuesday, the charges of wire fraud, falsifying records, campaign finance violations and conspiracy were the culmination of a Department of Justice investigation. That has gone on for more than a year, according to CNN. The detailed indictment, and it is kind of uh, just breathtaking, uh, frankly, portrays the hunters as living well beyond their means and said they, quote, knowingly conspired with each other to convert to convert campaign funds to personal use. Federal prosecutors contend that the hunters repeatedly misrepresented what their expenses were for. In one instance, buying personal clothing, for example, at a golf course so that the purchase, quote, could be falsely reported to the treasurer as balls for the wounded warriors, the indictment says. Wow. 
So they lied about helping wounded warriors so they, they could yep. buy clothes for themselves? Yes, yes. Hey, Duncan, you need new shorts. Go to the uh, go to the pro shop at the golf uh, at the golf store and uh, at the golf course, and uh, then we'll just claim we're buying balls for wounded warriors. Wow. That's the kind of guy that Duncan Hunter is. Federal prosecutors contend they did this over and over again. The indictment charges that Duncan Hunter uh, facilitated, quote, the theft of campaign funds by directing his treasurer to obtain a campaign credit card for his wife at a time when she actually had no formal role in the campaign. Congressman then insisted that his wife be named as his paid campaign manager over the objections of his own treasurer, because, according to the document, he said the family needed, quote, the extra money that would come from her salary. Well, I'm sure they did. That doesn't mean it's legal, Duncan. Prosecutors said Hunter also allowed the alleged theft to take place by, quote, ignoring his campaign staff's multiple warnings about Margaret Hunter's improper use of campaign funds. He lashed out at aides, the indictment says, by accusing them of disloyalty. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> disloyalty? And uh, saying that, charging that they were, uh, quote, trying to create some kind of paper trail on me by, you know, keeping records of campaign spending and, uh, you know, what the, the laws are regarding that. The Hunters are scheduled to be arraigned on Thursday morning in federal court in San Diego. Spokesperson for uh, Hunter said that the congressman believes the indictment against him and his wife is, quote, purely political. However, multiple sources um, who are familiar with the case tell CNN that the decision to indict the Hunters was made by the U.S. attorney who was appointed by Donald Trump and his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, last year. So if this is a uh, purely political motivated campaign, it sure is odd that Trump's own people would want to do it, especially against Duncan Hunter, who was one of the first two con uh, Congress members to endorse him back in, uh, in uh, I guess, 2015 when he announced uh, that he was running for president. Hunter was a founding member of the Trump caucus in the House during the 2016 campaign. And alongside with Congressman Chris Collins, he was the first of uh, two congressmen to endorse Trump back in oh, okay, February. He waited until February of 2016. So Chris Collins was indicted earlier this month on insider trading charges. He is already facing a federal indictment. Chris Collins is the congressman from New York. And now the second supporter of Donald Trump from Congress, Duncan Hunter, has been indicted. Gosh, I wonder why. Uh, anyway, in a statement on Tuesday, House Speaker Paul Ryan called the charges against Duncan, who is a former Marine, by the way, who is taking advantage of his fellow former Marines by lying about, you know, not just uh, all of his former Marines, but also yeah. veterans who've been wounded in combat, yep. who are permanently wounded. Yep. Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, Ryan uh, called these charges, quote, deeply serious, says that he will be removed from his committee assignments pending resolution of this matter, just as Collins was. 
Now, what does all this mean for November? Well, Republican Party leaders have long worried uh, that with this potential indictment looming, this investigation that's been going on over the past year, that Hunter's traditionally safe district in uh, in San Diego County, uh, his district makes up much of the uh, eastern part of the county, that that could be at risk of a Democratic takeover in November's midterm elections. This is a staunchly Republican district, or at least it's regarded as such. As many current and former military families that live there, they can be none too happy today. The congressman's father, Duncan Hunter, he represented part of the parts of that district, which uh, changed after redistricting. Uh, he had represented them for years. He has rallied uh, his own donors and supporters to his son's side. But that all could now be at risk. This was one of the few uh, Republican seats in California that was thought to be pretty safe this November. No more. Hunter's Democratic challenger, Amar Kempa Najjar, a former Department of Labor aide in the Obama administration, has repeatedly outraised Duncan Hunter. So, uh, <laughs> the signs do not look good for Republicans uh, in almost any portion of the country. That's why I say, who knows what could happen in Wyoming uh, this year. Even if federal candidates choose to withdraw from contention, CNN reports, in California, their names will remain on the ballot unless they seek removal of their names from a judge. That, according to the California Secretary of State's office, at this late juncture, however, there is uh, no possibility of a write-in campaign, according to the Secretary of State. Only Hunter and Campa Najjar, as of now anyway, unless a, a court feels differently, only those two candidates will appear, the Republican and the Democrat, will appear on the November ballot since they were the two top vote-getters in California's top two primary back in June. Womp womp. Uh, as I said, you can uh, look up uh, Duncan Hunter. I had uh, <laughs> reported on him back in 2014 and his father back in 2007. This family, if they're good at one thing, it is lying. It is just lying about stuff. Uh, back in uh, 2014, I had uh, noted that Hunter, uh, the Hunter, the, the son, the younger boy Hunter, he was in the middle of a, uh, of a kerfuffle at the time, claiming that he was told by unnamed U.S. Border Patrol agents that ISIS, quote, ISIS is coming across the southern border and will soon be, quote, bombing American cities after coming across from Mexico. He also uh, said that while several of the Islamic terrorists had already been nabbed by federal agents, more have likely slipped through and are amongst us even now. He told uh, Fox News at the time, quote, I know that at least 10 ISIS fighters have been caught coming across the Mexican border in Texas. Texas, Desi, your home state. Aren't you worried? Turns out the Department of Homeland Security uh, said that it was, quote, categorically false and not supported by any credible intelligence or facts on the ground. Uh, his father did something similar back in 2007. Uh, he's now retired, but he was the congressman at the time, and he claimed that there were uh, truckloads, busloads of, of uh, illegal immigrants. What did he call them? I don't know what he called them. Illegal immigrants, as he generally did call them, uh, that were being rounded up and herded into the polls 
He says, we have seen that in California. And in fact, uh, as I reported at at the time back in 2007, no, we actually haven't seen that in California. Flat out lie. He was lying. All right. Well, we will be talking about all of this uh, stuff that, as I say, is beginning to feel more and more like 2006 when we saw a whole bunch of uh, indictments and uh, Republicans resigning just before the uh, 2006 midterm in one scandal after another. We'll talk about that and more with the great Heather Digby Parton. Uh, She is writing, of course, about Michael Cohen today at Salon. So we'll talk with her about that and so much more right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, I think we reached that point long ago. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Following Tuesday's incredible news of the president's campaign chair being found guilty of eight felonies and his longtime lawyer and personal fixer pleading guilty to another eight felonies implicating Donald Trump himself at the same time, among other bad news for the president on that same day. The new legal fallout and ramifications, in addition to the political fallout, has already begun. Investigators in New York State issued a subpoena to Michael Cohen this afternoon as part of their probe into the Trump Foundation, the supposedly charitable nonprofit organization which, as we have learned, was funded largely by people other than Donald Trump and was used for any number of things other than charitable giving. AP reports an official with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration confirmed the subpoena was issued today after Cohn's attorney Lanny Davis said on Tuesday night that his client has information of interest to both state and federal prosecutors. New York officials believe that Cohen could potentially be a significant source of information for state investigators looking into whether Trump or his charity broke state law or lied about their tax liability. If evidence of alleged crimes is found, the matter could be referred to prosecutors who could pursue criminal charges and seek the release of Donald Trump's tax returns. Cohen, of course, pleaded guilty in Manhattan federal court on Tuesday to campaign finance violations and other charges, saying that he and Trump arranged he and Trump arranged the payment of hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels and a former Playboy model to influence the election. That would be Karen McDougal. The state's investigation in New York follows Democratic State Attorney General Barbara Underwood's recently filed lawsuit alleging Trump illegally tapped his Trump Foundation 
in order to settle legal disputes, help his campaign for president, and pay for personal and business expenses, which included, for example, spending $10,000 on a six-foot portrait of himself. Well, that doesn't sound like the Donald Trump I know at all. The New York, the, uh, New York AG's office is seeking $2.8 million in restitution and other unspecified penalties in its civil suit currently. It said that it had referred its findings to the IRS and the Federal Election Commission for possible further action. So Donald Trump's no good, very, very bad week continues following what election law expert Rick Hassan describes at uh, Slate today as some very serious consequences that may, may now befall him or his presidency. Hassan writes for the first time since the Trump presidency began. Donald Trump is in some real legal jeopardy, providing potential grounds for his eventual impeachment, if not indictment. Cohen's payments of hush money amounts to illegal, excessive campaign contributions. If prosecutors prove that the payments were made to help Trump's campaign, not to help Trump with his personal life, the Wall Street Journal reported last week that prosecutors had uncovered evidence that Cohen rebuffed an approach to pay off porn star Stormy Daniels in September of 2016, but then pursued those payments in October of 2016, just after the damaging Access Hollywood tape was released and as the campaign was heated and very close. This, writes Hassan, is strong evidence that the payments were, in fact, campaign-related, and, of course, in his Tuesday plea deal, Cohn did more than admit guilt in open court. He indicated that the payments were indeed made, quote, in coordination with and at the direction of then-candidate Trump, quote, for the principal purpose of influencing the election. Hassan says that if prosecutors have evidence, uh, such as text messages or recordings corroborating Cohen's statement implicating Trump, and the information filed with the court on Tuesday suggests that they absolutely do, that would be more than enough for Trump to be charged with a crime. It is illegal to conspire with someone to make an excessive illegal contribution, and it is illegal for a candidate or campaign to accept an excessive illegal contribution. As uh, Cohn's attorney, Lanny Davis, asked if those payments were a crime for Michael Cohen, why wouldn't they be a crime for Donald Trump, with whom he says he conspired to make those payments? More importantly, under the Justice Department's current guidance, finding that a sitting president cannot be indicted, assuming Cohen's story can be corroborated with documentary evidence, the campaign finance violations could certainly count as impeachable offenses that the House of Representatives could consider in any articles of impeachment brought against Trump. Whether or not Democrats will seek to impeach Trump has notes should, should they retake the House in November. That is a separate political question, but ultimately, even as Trump may face no penalty, he says, make no mistake, if Cohn's story is corroborated, Trump has committed a crime one that does not depend upon proof of Russian collusion or obstruction. 
Ever since Donald Trump glided down that golden escalator three years ago, it has seemed as though each news cycle is more surreal than the last one. Heather Digby Parton writes at Salon Today, But every once in a while, something happens that breaks through the dizzying cascade of crazy tweets, palace intrigue, and incoherent destructive policies. Tuesday, she argues, was one of those times. Two separate, serious legal proceedings unfolded over the course of several hours, leaving the weirdly unfamiliar impression that something real and recognizable has happened. Here to discuss that weirdly unfamiliar impression, and uh, if in fact she is right about that, is our friend Heather Digby Parton, who was on the air with us here on the very day of that infamous glide down the Trump Tower golden escalator. And we have checked in with her on just about every notable moment throughout both Trump's candidacy, which we predicted, we both of us predicted at the time, was much more serious than almost anyone in the media were taking it, even up to Election Day. And of course, ever since then, during the breathtaking two years since uh, since his since his election, Heather Digby Parton, of course, is known far and wide on the Internet as Digby. She is a contributor at Salon, a winner of the Sidney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism, and, of course, is the longtime proprietor of the long-running hullabaloo blog, Heather Digby Parton. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brad. I know that we just uh, spoke with you about a week or so ago, uh, but it, it had been, in my defense, it had been months prior to that. So we're still sort of refilling our Digby supplies here at the Bradcast. <laughs> uh, but I do like to check in with you uh, for your reflections and wisdom, no pressure, uh, at important moments like this, uh, at this, these historic times, really unprecedented uh, this certainly feels like one of them. So from a helicopter sort of historical aspect, um, how noteworthy do you sense that Tuesday's remarkable news will end up being? Or is that something that we can't really know until a few years down the road? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, to, you know, everything with Trump is pretty unpredictable. And you, what seems like it would be a huge deal has often turned out to just be a blip. But uh, in this case, it really does feel like something significant shifted and it's not because you know a bunch of republicans are coming out and saying oh it's despicable and deplorable and i wish he hadn't said that or you know the usual stuff mm -hmm. this is because i mean this is real as i as i put in my piece this is real and recognizable these are legal proceedings yeah. and they have real um you know discernible and and actual ramifications for the people who are involved in it michael cohen trump's former uh, lawyer mm -hmm. and uh, self-described fixer, uh, a la Ray Donovan, mm -hmm. uh, and his former campaign chairman and long-term acquaintance. He used to be in business with Roger Stone, who's another central figure in all this drama, Paul mm -hmm. Manafort, mm -hmm. uh, were both uh, convicted, uh, one by plea deal and the other by a jury trial, of eight felonies on the same day <laughs> in the same hour eight each we should clarify 16 yeah, eight, felonies eight, yeah, overall. 16 yeah. <laughs> felonies overall each of them eight 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 felonies mm -hmm. um and i mean that is meaningful i mean this is getting i mean now we've had a long list of people who've, who've had plea agreements mm -hmm. uh generally it had to do with lying to the fbi or in the case weren't you know of of uh Rick Gates, it was uh, Manafort's uh, major domo. Mm -hmm. he, he pled guilty to uh, many of the same crimes that Manafort was convicted of. Um, 
but for the most part, it's been this kind of vague idea that they're sort of being forced to cooperate to talk about, you know, Donald Trump or whatever. This is not what happened yesterday. What happened yesterday was two people were convicted of crimes that, uh, you know, of felonies, very mm-hmm. serious felonies that they did that were caught up in this. Now that, you know, that a lot of the right-wingers like to say, well, they would never have been caught if it hadn't been for somebody going after Trump, and, you know, that there is no more of a fatuous kind of excuse than that. They committed the crimes. And what this says about Trump is that he's surrounded by people who commit crimes. He is surrounded by criminals, and that is because he is one. And somehow or another, this, this, this moment yesterday, when you had two cases, one in New York and one in Virginia, converging, where the legal system, prosecutors, juries in different jurisdictions for completely different levels of crimes converged at the same time with two very close associates of Donald Trump. That says something. Now, what that means in the long run, I don't know. But I do know that this is a real consequence for Donald Trump and the people around him, well, a real one. Yeah, it, it, it feels like a real one, uh, but yet there have been a lot that have felt quite real, and then they you know, disappear with the next news cycle, and I have... Uh uh, well, yeah, I got some points on, I want to get to on that, but let me stick for a moment to the um, to to Cohen's plea deal. Uh, there is a lot of stuff in that deal. Uh, I think, in fact, it's much more important uh, than Manafort's convictions. Ultimately, at least for now, uh, I know you've been plowing through that uh, deal. W- what jumped out at you about the information that was filed with the court on Tuesday? Um, was there anything that came from uh, from from those uh, documents or from Cohen himself um, that you d- didn't know about previously, or or uh, was it just you know remarkable to see some of these things actually in in black and white uh, on the page? No, there were some new things in it, and it was kind of interesting to see to see specifically what they were. I mean, first of all, the fact that that Cohen uh, pleaded guilty to this campaign finance crime in which he said he did so at the direction of Donald Trump. I don't think we actually knew that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, certainly it was implied we saw it, we heard a tape that had, uh, you know, Cohen and Trump chattering about some kind of payment to mm-hmm. their friend Dennis, which everyone assumed was, uh, was or David, David, sorry, David Pecker, the, the publisher of the National Enquirer, mm-hmm. in which Trump seemed to be very comfortable with the idea of what they were talking about. There was no... What are you talking about, Michael? Right. How dare you suggest that we pay someone? <laughs> you know, there was nothing like that. So, right. so we did, you know, we knew, and of course we know Donald Trump, and we know what kind of person he is, so of course he was involved. But this was the first time we'd, we'd seen the idea in this document. It suggests that the, the prosecutors have actual documentary uh, evidence mm-hmm. to back up what Cohen was saying, which suggests that there is more there about Trump's yeah. involvement with this campaign finance charge. We don't know that for sure. It didn't specify specifically what those that documentary evidence was, but they had what was it three million documents that they went through. So you know, I'm going to take a wild yeah. guess that Cohen didn't didn't uh, cop to a charge they couldn't prove. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, the other thing that came out in there was that we had been under the impression that Trump and his, Trump's arrangement with David Pecker 
which is very interesting. Well, supposedly this, you know, Pecker just loves Trump. They're good friends, and he was just trying to help him out, right? Mm -hmm. So he'd take care of this stuff for him. In other words, you know, uh, I think the idea was Cohen would call up Pecker and say, hey, we've got this woman, and she's going to cause trouble. You know, could you buy up her story and do what they call a catch and kill, which right. is they buy up the rights, and then they kill the story, and no one ever, it never sees the light of day. Mm -hmm. And the person has signed an agreement that they won't talk about it in, in the course of that, of that agreement. Well, it turns out that's not what was going on. They had a standard uh, transactional agreement with the uh, National Enquirer, that they would agree to funnel money. They were basically using the National Enquirer as a simple pass-through for paying these people off. It wasn't that David Pecker was a good friend. In fact, David Pecker had, in October, called up Cohen and said, we're running with the story, with the McDougal story. And it was then that Cohen went into overdrive and set up the the hush money and the, the, the payment. In fact, it sounds like Pecker, in a way, was actually holding up the Trump campaign, hmm. not being a generous friend, but was actually saying, putting a gun to their head and said, hey, we need the money. And that was that conversation that Cohen and Trump had had, had that was around that payment and right. how we need to take care of our friend David, you know. And so, sorry. No, no go ahead. I, I, oh, I was just going to say that, that that is different. That's a very different arrangement, and it suggests that the David Pecker relationship might be more interesting, I think, than anything that we knew before. And that is in the, it's in what they call the information document mm -hmm. that goes with the plea agreement, which is a much shorter document that had what Cohen said out loud. And as, as sleazy as that sounds, and in fact is, you know, to pay off a, a publisher of the National Enquirer to basically make a story go away, if, at least as uh, Hassan argued in that uh, piece I read at the top from Slate, if it was done for personal reasons, if he did it to protect himself, his marriage and so forth, it may be sleazy, but it's not illegal. But we seem to have stepped into uh, once you, you know, get to the point where Michael Cohen is saying this was done all done to affect the election results themselves. That's a whole different area. Then it becomes a criminal act. And so that's what will be interesting to see. The other thing, of course, that will be interesting to see. And I think for me. Uh, the most remarkable thing about Tuesday was what happened after his plea deal. Um, I want to play this audio, Heather, and, and get your thoughts on it. Lanny Davis, one of the uh, one of Michael Cohen's attorneys, and I guess we should note a longtime friend and ally of the Clintons as well, who has come on as Michael Cohen's attorney. He was on Rachel Maddow's show on Tuesday night after the court hearing. Uh, and the guilty plea, and he offered what I thought was just incredible, essentially that Cohen will be more than happy to tell special counsel Robert Mueller all he knows, and he suggested that Cohen knows plenty about both the infamous Trump Tower meeting with Russians before the election, and I, I think this was new, what he describes as the, quote, computer crime of hacking before the 2016 election, and uh, whether or not he suggests that Trump had private information about it before it happened. I can tell you that um, Mr. Cohen has knowledge on certain subjects that should be of interest to the special counsel and is more than happy to tell the special counsel all that he knows, not just about the obvious uh, possibility of a conspiracy to collude and corrupt the American democracy system in the 2016 election, which the Trump Tower meeting was all about, but also knowledge about the computer crime of hacking 
and whether or not uh, Mr. Trump knew ahead of time about that crime and even cheered it on. And we know he publicly cheered it on, but did he also have private information? Wow, Heather, uh, this is not him being asked. Uh, this is not Lanny Davis, Michael Cohen's attorney, being asked uh, about these things. Oh, does he know anything about Russia and hacking and this and that? This is Lanny Davis offering this information on his own and telling Robert Mueller, yeah, Michael Cohen knows stuff he'd love to tell you about it. Well, I mean, it's very interesting because, it, look, Michael Cohen... It, you know this particular case that he w- that he pled pleaded guilty to, and there were a bunch of other things too with his taxi medallions and tax evasion mm-hmm. and bank fraud and all the rest of it. But what he he is also right in the middle of all this Russia stuff, as as we know. I mean, Michael Cohen was you know putting together the Trump Tower deal in Moscow mm-hmm. with a guy named Felix Sater, who is a longtime uh, FBI informant, right. and they said, hey, you know, I ca- I've got a direct, direct line to Putin. That, this was Sater, sent him a memo after the campaign, well after the campaign had started, saying I can send him a memo, I, I can get next to Putin, and uh, we, can, we can make our boy president. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. That's a, that, <laughs> so, that's an actual email, by the that's way. That's an actual that's right. email. Yeah. I'm not I'm not just making that right. up. I mean, that's an actual email that was yeah. sent. That's a bit we have seen. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Cohen was also involved in the. You know, it was mentioned in the Steele dossier. We don't know if that's real or not, but he is a player in that particular part of the story, and he has been for Trump. Uh, a you know a, a liaison with uh, Ukraine with various Russian things for years. He's married to a Ukrainian in- immigrant. He's very much part of that community in New York. Uh, that taxi medallion things. All you know a, a lot of Ukrainian immigrants are involved in that. And all of this just you know I don't know what it all adds up to, but let's just say that Robert Mueller isn't going. Eh, who needs to talk to Michael Cohen? <laughs> you know? I mean, I just don't believe that. Now there may be a reason why he has not. You know tried to talk to Cohen, and it may be because he knows that Cohen is guilty of a very serious crime, and he is targeting him in the same way that he's targeting Roger, Roger um, Stone. Uh, Stone. Right. And, 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 and who very definitely seems to be a, a target. But what, uh, you know, I mean, granted, you know, have it, take it with a grain of salt what I'm saying about the legal stuff, because I'm not a lawyer, and I'm getting all of this just from watching a bunch of, you know, former prosecutors on TV talk. But just in, in he, what I hear from them, more or less across the board, is that it's very possible that Mueller um, planned to have this, you know, they, they found this evidence against Cohen, they shoved it off to the Southern District of New York for the reason that they wanted this to be outside the Russia investigation. It makes it easier for them to sort of leverage Cohen uh, at this point. And that having it come very quickly, as it did, um, according to the reports, they were only very vaguely starting to talk about cooperation between the, the Cohen legal team and the, the prosecutors. And then all of a sudden, they just went on a big push and said, hey, we're going to arrest you. We're ready. We've read all the evidence. We've got you dead to rights. And Cohen decided to plead guilty. Well, the thing about that is, is that Cohen's attorney is a guy named Guy Petrillo, 
who is was the former head of the criminal division of the Southern District of New York. Mm-hmm. He is very well known among all those prosecutors. He is someone that you would only hire if you wanted to do make a, a cooperation agreement. And the fact that he that they didn't have one uh, ostensibly. You know, some people say it could be sealed. Others say that that doesn't happen in that office. But whatever the case, Guy Petrillo is a person who's very well trusted by the members of the Southern District of New York, and it's entirely possible that he will be negotiating some kind of cooperation agreement with either them and or the Mueller team. So my feeling is is that Mueller was waiting to get uh, to deal with Cohen until after this whole thing wound up and that they basically worked fast because they wanted to get it done before September 1st when, you know, Trump and Giuliani would be shrieking about, you know, the Comey situation going into the election, et cetera, et cetera, even though Donald Trump is not on the ballot and is not subject to that. I'm sure they're going to adhere to it and go quiet until after the election, right after September. The Justice Department policy that they're not supposed to bring uh, legal actions in the 60 days or so before an election, something that... Uh, James Comey, obviously that's a a moving uh, 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 rule there at the DOJ, something that Jim Comey ignored back in 2016. Um, But yeah, we're seeing a lot of this now, it seems like, wrapping up, or at least for the moment, wrapping up over the next week or so until before we get into that 60-day period. Heather, I want to take a quick break um, and come back with a few more questions about where this goes from here. But very quickly, Trump did not mention Cohen or Manafort at his West Virginia rally on Tuesday night, uh, where he seemed, at least to my eyes, a little depressed for some reason. I don't know. Maybe that was just my eyes. But he did go on uh, uh, one of his, you know, no collusion. Where's the collusion? You know, one of those rants of find some collusion. Now, I've always felt that Democrats were a little bit ahead of their skis in claiming collusion and, frankly, in using that word instead of conspiracy. So, A, were they ahead of their skis? Uh, And B, if so, does it matter anymore now that we've got Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels, a porn star, for Christ's sake, who was, you know, allegedly having an affair with Trump and he was paying her off to shut her up about it? All of that now can be used against the president. Uh, we can maybe even throw in Paul Manafort if he decides, if he comes to his senses and decides to cooperate with prosecutors. Does the Russia stuff even matter with all of this other stuff now that, you know, Democrats could use against him in a in an impeachment? I think it matters. <laughs> I think it matters a lot, and I think it will matter. The problem with this case is that the, uh, you know, the special prosecutor just isn't isn't talking, and there's no way of knowing specifically where they're going. So anybody who is, you know, out there making broad-brush claims about it are ahead of their skis. We don't really know. There are some things that are obvious. I mean, it's obvious that Donald Trump Jr. took a meeting with people purporting to be representing the Russian government with dirt on Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. We know that, and we know he said, I love, if it's what you say it is, I love it, you know, let's use it later in the summer. That is collusion. That, that, that is the definition. Now, what we don't know is whether or not that is a criminal offense. It may just be that, you know, he's working with a foreign, you know, with a foreign uh, person, mm-hmm. and there's no crime that they can, they can point to. That's what will be determined. And I, I think the good thing about this is that in, in showing these other, uh, 
you know, aspects of the of the Trump corruption. And let's not forget, you know, half the de- the Republican Party is going down for corruption right now. You've got, <laughs> right? you know, yep. Duncan Hunter, yep. you've got Chris Collins, you've got all these people. I mean, it's just, it's it's astonishing. I mean, half of his cabinet has been fired or resigned uh, due to corruption charges. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, th- that part of it, having all of that swirling around Trump, uh, of course, that makes a huge difference for the Democrats, and that is a, a case to be made. And all they have to say about the Mueller thing is, we're just going. We just think Mueller should should be able to complete the case, and we're not going to let anything uh, stop that. And we are going to run our own investigations if we become the. Uh, we're going to do oversight because that's our job, and we'll see. We'll follow the evidence where it leads, and that's all they have to say. They don't have to come to any conclusion. Let me let me take a quick break here, Heather. And uh, by the way, to be clear, I wasn't suggesting it didn't matter. I'm suggesting does it actually matter to uh, the case against the president, to the Democrats' case against the president? Oh. It seems like in 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 one respect. They don't even need. They got enough stuff, even without all of the Russia stuff. That's what I was trying to get. They don't to have there. to mention it. Yeah, they can all they have to extent. do is say, "Look, we, yeah. we just want the investigations to play out, whatever they are, and yep. we're you know yep. let the chips fall where they may." All right, stand by, uh, Heather Digby Parton. Got uh, some uh, questions for you about where those chips may or may not fall straight ahead. Uh, this is uh, the broadcast, and I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo. Uh, Got a few uh, minutes here, Heather, and I want to ask you about a few different points very quickly. Um, Maggie Haberman was uh, reporting on Twitter that, quote, she's uh, from The New York Times. Sorry about that. Trump folks are worried about impeachment more than before. The thinking goes like this. This is something tangible, not a theoretical. And it didn't come from Mueller. Does not mean it will happen, but this has moved to a different stage in their minds. That was uh, after the uh, Michael Cohen plea on Tuesday to eight uh, eight federal felonies, two of which at least implicate the president directly in campaign finance uh, violations with uh, payoffs to women with whom he was having an affair. Uh, so. Heather, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about things changing now, impeachment and so forth. But someone uh, posted this on Twitter and I can uh, report I had a similar uh, experience. Uh, They posted their their alerts that came in uh, with all of the news that was breaking between Manafort and Cohen on Tuesday. Washington Post, Trump's longtime Michael, uh, longtime lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, pleads guilty to eight counts. CNN, former Trump aide Paul Manafort found guilty on eight counts. 
Uh, Washington Post, Paul Manafort found guilty on eight counts and judge will declare mistrial in 10 others. Fox News, breaking, judge declares mistrial on 10 counts in Manafort <laughs> fraud case. <laughs> that, that actually happened. I saw that. Uh, so I guess the, the question is, you know, we're saying, yes, everything seems like maybe it has changed here, but... You know, if it doesn't change to the Fox News people and Fox is what Donald Trump watches, I mean, isn't this something that could just, uh, as we've seen before, that he just, you know what, let this news cycle play out. There'll be some new Trump disaster or some other indictment or somebody else, you know, that, that will suck up all the oxygen and we'll just move on and nobody will do nothing. Couldn't we be facing that uh, right now as well? Of course. <laughs> I mean, that's how it always goes, and I would not be surprised in the least to see that happen. I mean, if it gets really bad, I expect, you know, Trump will do something like uh, revoke uh, President Obama's security clearance sure. or something, yeah. you know? I mean, that's, you know, the, he, has, uh, he has a lot of, uh, he is still the president. I mean, there's lots of things he can do to shift the uh, the conversation yep. and I uh, you know I don't and I think and he's pretty good at that so I, I'm not in any way um, you know sanguine that somehow oh my god you know it's finally happened this is the day that, right. that you know Trump is, everything changes I don't think it really changes anything politically to be perfectly honest I honestly don't think that anything I mean short of some something you know totally you know world wide catastrophe of some sort, something really major, a terrorist attack or something like that. But anything like this to do with Trump, I think it's a, it's a matter of this is just a slow churn. And because the, you know, his followers are, are so insulated in their own little silo, uh, you know, I don't really think that they feel that. They don't feel the intensity mm -hmm. of this as like, like people like us do. When we saw that yesterday, we went, whoa, you know, this yeah. is a big deal. I don't think that they feel it. Now, the question really is then is, you know, what would change it? And I actually think the election is the thing that we have the most potential to change the equation. Mm -hmm. The dynamic will not change until Republicans understand that the people are not with them and that not enough people are with them, I should say. Which is, of course, why we focus so much on elections on this show, even exactly. when we're nowhere near uh, Election Day, but we're pretty near it now. And I got to say, Heather, uh, with with this with these guilty convictions of Manafort, the guilty plea by Cohen, both on Tuesday, then the federal indictment on insider trading filed, uh, well, I think it was last week, uh, I've lost track of time, against Trump's first supporter in Congress, that would be New York <laughs> Republican Congressman Chris Collins, uh, and then the federal indictments against his second congressional supporter, California Congressman Duncan Hunter, and his wife yesterday. And then, of course, all that could still come in the next few weeks. Heather, this sure feels uh, starting to feel a lot to me like 2006. And you'll recall yep. George W. Bush's uh, Iraq war was not going well. His response to the hur Hurricane Katrina was disastrous. And at the same time, in the last few Months before that 2006 midterm that year, uh, remember all of those GOP congressmen were being indicted, forced to resign in corruption and sex scandals. It's almost starting to seem like this is what happens whenever Republicans are allowed to be in charge of anything. <laughs> yeah, you think? 
Uh, yeah, it does seem like we're replaying that. And even some of the same people are around. I mean, you know, this is unbelievable that we're still that we're doing this again. Mm-hmm. That the Republicans take office and this is what they do. They immediately are, you know, just uh, are money grubbing beyond all all reasonable uh, expectations, right. and you know we're they're going to you know they're they're being exposed because part of it is they're so incredibly open and sloppy about it they don't even try to hide it when they get into this situation they yeah. just start start you know eating at the trough so you know yeah it feels very much like that and you know I don't know there's been a lot of uh, that come to pass since then. I mean, there are the changes in campaign finance laws, there's gerrymandering, there's all this vote suppression. I mean, you know better than anybody the the dangers that we face with Mm -hmm. our voting systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what this really means for the Democrats is is they they have to have a massive get out the vote. They've got to to motivate their voters in, in ways that no midterms ever been motivated before. And uh, it's going to be a battle of the bases, I think. Uh, I mean, I think that's what, what this midterm is going to be. A battle of the bases. Uh, very quickly, I'm almost out of time here, Heather. Uh, so not fair to give you this question with about 30 seconds, but how does this affect the the Kavanaugh hearings, Brett oh. Kavanaugh, which are set to start in just about, uh, I think we're two weeks away at this point. Does this change anything or are the Republicans just going to plow through as planned and jam this guy through any way they can? I think they're going to jam him through. But, you know, I think I told you before, I think the, the Democrats have a Hail Mary and the Hail Mary is to uh, corner Kavanaugh. Uh, on whether or not he'll recuse on Donald Trump. And if they have to, somebody should lie about it and say he promised them that he would do it <laughs> and try and get Trump to withdraw his nomination. I mean, he almost withdrew Gorsuch because he heard something he didn't like. So, I mean, that's the Hail Mary. That's I throw that out there, Democrats. Use it, please, if you have to. Anything to stop this guy. Hail Mary from Heather Digby Parton, known, of course, as Digby. You can find her work at Salon.com and at Digby'sBlog.blog. Dogspot.com, and of course, follow her on the Twitters at Digby56. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for having me, Brad. You bet. Okay, I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. Though, while you're there, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You are the only ones who keep us on your public airwaves with your support at bradblog.com slash donate. If you can sign up for a subscription of any amount you like, it is greatly appreciated. Drop me email if you like to tell me why you're not signing up for a subscription. Uh, My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 